This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a show where we discuss how to navigate the highs and lows of the human condition. Each week, we address a new topic, and we see that there are two choices we can make. We can lower the bar, go with the flow, and react to what the world throws at us, or we can be proactive, deciding in advance how we want to live, and in essence, rise above the human condition. We hope the discussion today is just what you need for the week ahead. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. Great to have you with us. It is October 18th, 2021. Like I said, great to have you here. We are in the middle of a series called Transcendent Parenting. So for those of you following along, we are in week eight already. Can you believe it? Eight times we've done this already. Uh, For those of you just joining in, uh, you jumped in right in the middle. So I'll give you a little recap here as to where we've been. So week one was called First Things First. Uh, We talked about having a strong marriage or building a strong marriage. Week two was called Parenting Isn't Optional. So we talked about how parenting is a high calling and that you really have to be all in if you want to be successful at it. Week three was called Parenting Through the Stages. So we looked at the different uh, developmental stages and how parenting changes from stage to stage. Uh, Week four, Parenting Plan of Attack. So we talked about how to be proactive versus reactive in your parenting. Week five, sell your helicopter. Uh, What would it look like if we could stop being helicopter parents? Week six, making memories. So how to turn negative life events into memories that you'll laugh about later. And then last week was called prep for launch. So we talked about how to ensure that our kids are ready to leave the house. Today, we're talking the afterlife what it looks like when all of your kids have left the house and it's just you or you and your spouse. And as always, it's my privilege to welcome Tammy back to the show. So welcome. Thank you. It's crazy to think this is episode eight, that this is the eighth time you've heard from me. <laughs> it is. Eight. <laughs> it is crazy to think. I mean, I, I don't even know when we first started, like, I think in our heads, we were thinking maybe four or five episodes or something. Yeah. And here it is going on eight already. So I guess that means maybe we have too much to say. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe we're we're full of hot air. Uh All right. Well, welcome back. Um, So let's dive into the minute of parenting transparency. And I thought we could just chat for a minute about being prepared for having adult children. Um, Obviously, we're kind of in that middle ground where we're almost there, but I guess the question is, are we there? We've got two girls who just went back to college after some COVID breaks and some, you know, craziness with all of that. Um, so let's start with that. What do you think? Are our girls adult children because they're out of the house or they're at college? I don't know. I I don't, I wouldn't call them adult children completely, I think is what I would say. So they're definitely, they're adults, right? They're, when you look at like, what does an adult mean by the government standards, you know, so they're 18. 
they, <laughs> they can, can get in serious trouble. They can, I always, they we always told them, right? Oh, you're 18. Great. You can go to like real jail now. There's, there's no more juvie for you. It's, it's real jail. Yeah. But so yeah, they're away at college. They're doing the college thing. And so what does that mean? That means that they're making their own decisions, right? They're deciding what time they come home at night. They're deciding who they hang out with. They're deciding when their homework gets done. I mean, they're deciding pretty much their day in and day out. It's them. They're making all of those decisions on their own. So yeah. And that fact, I would say they're, they're adults. Like they're not, they're not asking us what they should do day in and day out. We don't even know what they're doing day in and day out. <laughs> and and we have it a little better than even our own parents, right? Because we can get on Find a Friend or those of you who have Life 360 and, you know, you can get in there and be like, oh, look, my daughter's in Long Beach today. I wonder what she's doing there. And you can text and be like, so what are you doing in Long Beach today? Maybe they'll answer. Maybe they won't. <laughs> and we always joke with our kids about, you know, because we still can see them on find a friend and they kind of at times will make comments about it. And I was like, well, we still pay for your phone. So, you know, the minute you want to pay for your own phone and your own plan, then I guess you could take us off of find a friend if you really want. So, so that's kind of a funny thing, but so that's the other piece, right? It leads you into, yes, they're doing all of those things as adults, but we are still, we're still caring for them. We're still financially responsible for them. So they're still on our insurance plan we still pay their cell phone bills. We still pay their car insurance. There's a lot. We still, you know, for our daughter in New York, we're still paying for all of her transportation to and from the city so she can take classes. Like if something happens and they don't have money for something, we're the ones taking care of those responsibilities, right? For sure. Yeah. They have a house to come back to that they pay nothing for when they're home from breaks and they're home at summer. They drive our cars that, you know, we pretty much, we pay for everything with the cars except for gas. Like that's the one thing we've kind of been pushing now for at least the two older ones that are now adults per se, right? That like, okay, you need to pay for your own gas. So yes, I would say in some situations they are adults, absolutely. In other situations they're not. And at least that's what it is for our kids. I think there are definitely kids out there that at 18, their parents are like, you're done. You're on your own. Good luck. Here it is. Um, that's hard to think about. That's crazy for me to think about. But it happens. Like, I mean, we know stories of kids that it's happened to. So mm -hmm. so when you look back at your own life, can you, can you like pick an age where you feel like you literally made that transition? I would say for me, it was probably graduating, kind of graduating from college or maybe not even that. I would say graduating from college was like, part of the step into that because now it's like at that point I think my parents were like okay we're done like you're now off of our insurance you have to get your own insurance you have your first year old job you're paying for your own stuff for your car like it, we're not putting any gas you're paying for your insurance you're paying for repairs to your car right so those big kind of life things that come your way now I'm responsible for I came back from college and lived with my parents for a while so I still didn't have that full responsibility but so I would say for me, it was probably when I finally moved out of the house and yeah, right. Got, got yeah. an apartment and had a roommate and all that. Right. Right. And then <laughs> I was responsible financially for everything. So I had all the financial responsibility. I also had just the personal responsibility, right. Making all my own decisions, all of that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would say. I don't know. What about you? Yeah. Probably the same thing, except I think I went through so many stages of living at home, then going away, then coming back. Yeah. 
it was just, it probably really muddied that a bit. And I, you know, I used my parents' vehicle for quite a while. I would pay for gas and stuff like that, but still you're, you just don't really feel like you're your own person mm-hmm. until you like, you know, you're making your own car payment, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I can't even remember. I mean, like what age that would have been when I finally, I mean, I, I moved from my parents' house down into an apartment in South Bend. That was probably, yeah, probably when, I, when I guess things started to feel more that way. Yeah. 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 It's great. It's cra- Yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. Like how it can be so different for people, for kids, how, yeah, how it can change so much for, in different family situations, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Depending on how long the parents hold on and want to keep paying for things and right, right. <laughs> how soon they turn you over. Yeah. <laughs> how soon they're like, and I'm done. It's you now. It's all you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's what we're talking about today. Really, today's topic is the afterlife. So what looks what life looks like after the kids move out. And so we obviously aren't the experts here because we still have a kid at home. We still have two in college. So we haven't really made that transition into full empty nesters with adult children, but we're going to talk about it anyways. So Today, we're going to kind of talk through three different things. First is enjoying adult children. Second, it takes a community. And third, leave your mark. So number one, enjoying adult children. So in order to talk about enjoying adult children, we probably need to go back to the beginning of this series. Do you remember what that was called? The first episode we ever did? Well, it was called First Things First. That was the title. And that was all about marriage. So it's important to bring this episode up in this episode because it's really kind of the culmination of that episode. It's kind of like the bookends, right? So you had episode one and now you have this episode, which are kind of bookends to all of the things you did as parents. So, you know, when your kids leave home, you're left with the marriage you started with. Or if you allowed your marriage to deteriorate, then you're left with that. So this is why we started kind of with that episode about building a strong marriage, because it really needs to be strong to withstand the years with children. That probably sounds bad, but it is what it is. And so when they're gone, you'll still have a life. Uh, You'll still have a, a married couple life, and you're able to continue in that because your kids aren't providing kind of that all encompassing purpose or meaning in your life. So this is good for you as a married couple, and it's good for your adult children. So just a caveat, we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, biological parents or or kind of like the traditional home. And we understand that there are many different scenarios out there. So if you're a single parent or a biological parent in a blended family, you know, things might be a little different. But at the end of the day, really, in summary, you need to have something that is yours. You need to be yourself so that when your kids are ready to, to move out and move on, you're still you. Like you, you weren't so wrapped up in your kid's life and, and your kids giving you that meaning and that purpose that when they leave, you either have to hold on to them tightly or you fall apart. So that's kind of what we're talking about here. So in this, in this new phase of life, when your kids are kind of making that tr- transition into adulthood, um, the big question comes in like, how involved should you be, right? Or how 
how do you stay connected in healthy ways and not continue or or become a helicopter parent from afar things like that so so let's talk about that what are some what are some of the ways we can stay connected to them like in healthy ways so let's talk communication yeah yeah so i would say this communication i think it depends on your kids i think every kid is a little different right And I, Mm -hmm. you know, you can think back to maybe your own experience with your own parents in that, but we have three kids, two of them, like we have said, are out of the house. We still have one that's not. And I don't, I can't, I don't really know yet, to be honest with him. I can't really put my finger on it, but we have one kid out of the house that. The first. The first. The first to leave. leave, (laughs) Yes. That when she left as a freshman, she said to us, just understand, I'm not going to talk to you every day. And I was like, what? She was like, no, I'm not. I don't need to talk to you every day. And I was like, well, then how often can we talk? And she was like, I'll talk to you once a week. We can talk once a week. And so we kind of almost set like kind of a schedule with her. Like I think we had like Sunday afternoons or yeah, Sunday nights. Sunday nights or yeah. Sunday during dinner. We would yeah. FaceTime. We would or FaceTime. And that's <laughs> not to say, right, that like there weren't other times, that there weren't times that things came up or there weren't times that she called or There weren't times that we were sitting around having family dinner and talking about something and we're like, oh my gosh, I wonder what Allie would say to this and we'd throw her on FaceTime, right? So that, those things happen, but she definitely, she's just, she doesn't need to communicate as much. So she's, she's out living her life. And if she wants to talk to us, she knows she can call and we'll answer the phone. Um, But she doesn't, it's not like, oh, I have to talk to my parents every day. I have to check in. They have to know what I'm doing. I mean, we'll go like it's been at this point, probably a week since I talked to her. I was just actually just thinking today, like, oh, I haven't talked to Allie in a little bit. So but that's yeah. just that's how she is like that. I, she I don't think it bothers her. I, she's never made it out like and, like it bothers her. And like I said, she's the one who put that on us. Like, I don't I'm not going to talk to you every day because <laughs> I think she knows if I had uh, the choice, I would talk to her several times a week. So. Right. So that's her. And what would you say about Rach? Kid number two. Yeah. Completely opposite. So constant. Well, I shouldn't say constant, but I mean, more the kind of child who would text throughout the day or, you know, randomly text or or call or do FaceTime, stuff like that on a much more regular basis than the first one. Yeah. We laugh about Allie because Allie is even one of those kids at times that you'll text her and you she literally just won't text you back. It's like, that's beautiful. Beautiful. That's great. Rachel is not like that at all. She will, if you text her, you will hear back from her. It may not be, if she's busy, it may not be right away, which is fine. I don't need to hear back from her immediately, Mm -hmm. but she will definitely get back to you. So, and I don't know what Ty will be like. It, it will depend. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I really, I'm not sure, but so, yeah. So, I mean, there's communication there is right. You can text them. You can FaceTime them. You can even call them. There's this crazy thing. It's like, you know, you can talk to them on the phone. So I would say probably for most of it with us, it's either via texting or via FaceTime. I mean, every now and then we'll do a phone call, but I like, I want to see their faces because we don't get to see them all the time. So I'm like, if I'm going to call you, I'd rather just see you and talk to you that way. So, right. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? So true. Yeah. So that's communication. And that's how our kids are in college right now. Again, it's different for everybody. I know kids in college that they do talk to their parents very often. And I think it's that balance of what is that balance, right? So do you need to talk to them every single day? I don't know. Like, again, it depends on your kid and the situation. 
there could be some stuff going on for them or stuff going on for you that they feel like they need to talk to you all the time. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I think it can also at times be overbearing. It can be like, well, why, why do you need to say those three things to them every day? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I think there's just this like middle ground that maybe you need to find of what works for them and what works for you. And also sometimes I think push on them a little bit. If they feel like they need to talk to you every day, like, well, why do you need to talk to me every day? And again, for some people, they're going to feel fine with that. But but what if you pushed your kid a little bit and were like, okay, well, I can't talk to you tomorrow. Are they going to have a meltdown if that happens? And if they do, well, why? Like that, that would be my question. Again, I'm not saying it's wrong. I think I would just make me form the question in my head, like, well, why? Why is the meltdown coming? So. Yeah, I think it can be on, you can start to sense unhealthiness on both sides. If, yeah. If like as the parent, you're constantly waiting for a phone call every single day, then there, there might be something wrong mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yes, you love to hear from your kids, but at the same time, if you can't go through your day without feeling the need for that because you're afraid or you're fearful, whatever, right, then right. That's, there's there's something unhealthy going on. And, and the same for your kid. You know, we talked, I think, in the in the prep for launch or even the developmental stages, the whole concept of having them ready to walk out the door. And if they're needing to call you every single day mm-hmm. and have like approval of things or, or ask you questions and have you make decisions for them, then maybe that transition didn't happen as, as good as it should have during uh, that senior year, probably in high school. Right, right. Yeah, there can definitely be some unhealth, I think, in there. And you'll find your, I think you'll find that ground as they continue to get older. Like I talked to my mom many times a week probably but it's not like because I felt like I had to or and I don't think it's because she felt like she had to talk to me it's just we enjoyed talking to each other or we would see each other Mm -hmm. we would go to lunch or like things like that and so you know your hope is always it transitions into that but that it's health on both sides that it's like I want to I enjoy this relationship like I enjoy talking to my friend right so yeah right So I would say that's communication is one way. Visits um, are another way. And here's the thing I want to say about visits is like parents, you have to make the effort here. Um, Your kids, their lives are busy right now, even if they're just in college or they've just left the house, but they're only going to continue to get busier, right? Like think about your life when you first got married and when you first had kids and you have little kids running around and you're trying to work and you're trying to do all their activities Like you, your time all of a sudden is no longer your own. It becomes about them. It happens. And so it's easy to be like, I don't, it's, it's, it's easy to kind of start to pull away from your own parents at that point. If you are, if the kid is the one that's constantly having to make, like, try to connect and try to stay, try to be involved in that way, because there's just so many other things pulling at your attention. And it should be that as that stage of life is starting for your kids, that you as the parent of your kids, your stage of life is changing and that you're a lot less busy at this point, right? Like you no longer have children in your home. So you should have all sorts of time. So I'm just gonna say like, I believe, and maybe I'm wrong, I'm not an expert in this, but I believe that it's really like the parents are the ones who need to make the effort. I can remember getting so frustrated at times that it would be like, people would say to me like, well, you don't make any effort to see these people or you don't make any effort to do that. And I'm like, people, I am trying to survive. Like, do you understand all the things that I have to do in my day and my week and my month to raise my kids and to work, right? Like this isn't back in the olden days where like moms are getting to stay home most of the time, right? And like 
just do whatever they want all day long. And again, even if you're getting to stay home, like you still have a full day every day with kids. So it's a full-time job. Yeah, it's a full-time job. So then when there's all this put on you of like, well, you need to stay in contact with all these other people, it's hard. And it can just be that thing where it's like, I, you just start to pull away because you don't have time to do it. So I think for me, for us as parents, one of the things that I'm committed to is it's going to be me who's going to reach out and say, hey, when can I come and see you? How can I make that most convenient for you? What I'm going to come to you. I don't care if you're in New York. Like I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to come to you because that's what I want to do, right? Like Allie's only an hour away. I'm going to go to Allie. I'm going to call her and I'm going to say, hey, when can I come and see you? I'm not going to wait for her to call me and say, hey, mom, when are you going to come and see me? Because chances are she may never. Ha ha, <laughs> funny. She may not. But um, but again, I don't want to put that on her. I don't want to give her one more thing to feel like, like, oh, I have to keep my parents happy. That's not, for me, that's just not what it's about. So I would say you plan the visits, but it's they're important. You need to make an effort to do it. But you do that. Like that is something that is apparent that I think we're responsible to do. And then, yeah. Yeah. And like, and like we said, with having two kids in college, it's a little bit different because we're making an effort to visit them and or figure out when they can come home for, mm-hmm. for breaks and mm-hmm. things like that. And I'm sure that'll change once they're out on their own, have their own family and stuff like that, because it's not like, oh, are you coming home on spring break? No, right. you have a family of your <laughs> right. own. So right. Yeah. So the whole visit thing, yeah, that's, I think when you were talking about us making the effort to go to them, it, it makes even more sense when they're out with, you know, married with their own families mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. And when I think about like people that we're friends with that we've seen who are a little bit further ahead with us, like that's what I see. I more often see them going to visit their kids than their kids coming to visit them you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's even more important when you don't live in the same city with your parents. Like you, you don't, you don't live in the same state. You're not an hour drive away or two hour drive away. Like parents get on a plane or get in a car and go visit your kids. Like to me, I don't, I don't know why it's so hard. Like I don't, I, I don't know. Anyways, you can tell I, (laughs) it's a little bit of a push for me, but, um, or a little bit of like a frustration or a a point for me that I can get passionate about. So yeah. So we have communication, we have visits. And then the other thing that's important for us, I would say, is vacations. And we love vacations with our family, with our kids. It's a time for all of us to be together. And right now, right, like it's just our family and our kids. And I always say, like, we will have a vacation every year, even if it's something small and tiny, but we'll have a time to get away because there's nothing that replaces that. There's nothing that replaces going away with your going away just your core group and spending time together. Time away from work, time away from school, time away from friends, like just just time away from it all. Putting your phones down, being out in nature, doing whatever it is that your family enjoys doing together. Those are you're just not going to get that time back and I I know and understand that as our kids get older, this is going to get harder and harder. I mean, this summer, we literally had like, what, two weeks, I think, that we could plan time together. Like, that was it Mm -hmm. because of schedules, because of kids being home from college and not being home from college. But it's something I'm committed to, even as our kids continue to grow and as they have significant others that turn into, you know, that they get married and they have spouses. Like, I absolutely love to watch families like, what you know, again, we have... uh, 
friends that are a little bit ahead of us and you'll watch them pull their kids and their kids spouses and they'll do a family vacation every year and it's just something that it is important to them to do so you add more people into the crew because now you're all family but you take that time away every year to continue to build those memories and keep those bonds strong so i don't know do you agree yeah yeah i mean it like we talked about with with two kids in college it's we're still on somewhat of a routine you know once covid is gone and, and they actually have you know normal summers then you should have you know at least two or three months in there in mm-hmm. the summer to to plan things but but i mean college these days is you know there's internships and yeah. there's apprenticeships and just all sorts of different things that you know can keep that from happening so yeah it'll be interesting as as they get older and we will see yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So then the last piece is really, we, we kind of talked about communication visits and vacations or ways of staying connected. Um, but then in terms of just like the changing relationship, it's also, you know, it, it's something that changes from what I think we've talked about. This as going from being a parent to more of like a supporter or a consultant. Um, I think in one of the episodes we talked about, be more of a coach and less of a parent mm-hmm. as, as you kind of get toward 18. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that, the whole the whole change to more of a support consultant kind of a role. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I agree with you. We did kind of touch on it and talked about it in one of our other episodes, but it really does just become your relationship completely changes and it should be changing as they're going through high school. And as we talked about before, like you're handing things off to them. So by the time they do leave your house, you've pretty much handed it off. But I think the thing that I, there's a couple of things that I think about when this comes up is there's two things. One is I can remember, I think it might be the name of a book. I can't remember, but it was the whole, like, leave your doormat out and keep your mouth shut or something like that. So basically it's just the whole vibe or the whole thought of like, always the the door is always open. You are always welcome in our home. You can, it doesn't matter if we're here, if we're not here, like this is your home. This is your house. You are always welcome to come back in. But as a parent, I need to be quiet. (laughs) So it's come in, let's sit down, let's talk, how is life? But, but I need to just keep my mouth shut most of the time. And I just need to, I need to transition into, I'm a listener now. I'm listening to what they have to say, right? I also, one of the other things that kind of goes along with this is I heard, I can't remember who now, I can't remember where I heard this from, to be honest. So whoever said this, sorry, I'm not giving you credit, but I can't remember. But it was the whole concept of, and I just actually talked about this with a friend the other day, the whole concept of if you give, if you give your kids like critic, like if you give your kids advice or if you tell them what you think they should do, so why aren't you doing, you should be doing, like they automatically take that as criticism right? Mm -hmm. They automatically look at you as adult children. And you're like, you're only telling me that because you're like, you're criticizing me. And when I first heard it, I was like, I don't know that that's true. Really? Like, is that really the case? So I literally came home and I asked our girls, I was like, so if I come up to you and say, Hey, so I think you should cut your hair. Like, I'm just, I'm just thinking like, I think your hair needs cut. I'm like, do you, do you like take that, that advice that I'm giving you? How do you take that? And Allie was like, that means that you don't like my hair the way that it is. And you're like, you're criticizing me. And I was like, well, but what if I'm not? She's like, but you are, because otherwise, why would you say anything about it? Like, that's the only reason you're talking about it. (laughs) 
And so I don't know. I was just like, wow. And so then, like I said, I was having this conversation with a friend and she's, she's a grown woman who has her own kids. And she was talking with her mom about a dating because she's not married. So she's talking with her mom about dating and her mom was like giving her all of this dating advice. And she was like, you're just, I don't need to hear that from you. Like you're criticizing, you're, you're telling me, well, why don't you do? And why don't you do? And she's like, no, it's all criticism. Like, stop. I just don't want to hear that. You know? So, so it just was that whole conversation of like, wow, that is really what happens. And I mean, I even think back about like our own parents, right? And like, if our parents come to us and say, so why aren't you doing, or what about this? Or what about that? I mean, it's the whole adage that like, as a mother-in-law, you don't ever say that because you just assume that you're the, your in-law or the, the in-law, when the in-laws say that, like the kids don't ever take that well. Right. So, but, but yeah, I would just say it's one of those things that you just, you need to be that supporter. You need to be that listener is how I would say it. You're just sitting and you're listening to them. And one of the things that was said when I heard that whole, like, you know, don't give them advice is actually just you to ask them, say, Hey, would you mind if I gave you some advice? Are you open to advice right now? And if they say yes, then go ahead because they've given you permission. If they say no, then just be quiet. Just be like, okay, great, you know, and move along. And maybe at some point they'll come back and say, hey, remember when we were having that discussion and you asked if you could give me advice? Like, what was that advice? I wonder what it is. You know, maybe down the road, they'll be open to listening to it. But you just giving it in that moment, I don't think is always the right way to go. Probably is actually never the right way to go as you have adult children. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's the whole, I think you can kind of tell probably with your kids, if you, if you're listening more than you are talking, Mm -hmm. then there may be times when they ask you for advice. Mm -hmm. Like you can just tell, right? They're saying, well, what do you think I should do? Or what do you think I should say? And I think if you kind of follow those prompts, then, then your advice is, is helpful because they're kind of asking for it in a roundabout way. But yeah, when you, when you hear a situation and then you just start talking, it's usually you trying to fix their problem, right? So you're right. And that comes across as criticism a lot of times. If you're, you know, if they're adults and they're living their life and they know that it's ultimately their decision, they have to make the right decision, then us telling them <laughs> which way to go is just gonna make it harder, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So listen, be good listeners, guys. Be good listeners as they get older. For sure. All right. Number two, it takes a community. So we've all heard the phrase, it takes a community to raise a child. Um, and I was, as I was preparing for this, I was kind of thinking through, well, that doesn't sound completely right. So I kind of edited it a little bit. And I would suggest that the phrase should be, there will be a community raising your child. Because at the end of the day, like that's just the way it's going to happen. You can't and you shouldn't really keep your kids sheltered to the point where they're not around anyone or around anything. So if this is true, then there's always going to be other voices speaking into the lives of our kids, which is a good thing. So I wanted to talk through this concept um, kind of from two perspectives. First, the community that our kids had when growing up. And then number two, how we can provide that type of community for other people. So especially when our kids are grown and out of the house, what does that look like for us to be that community or to provide that community to others? So. So the first part, our kids' community growing up, what do you think? Like what, aside from us, like outside voices that were speaking to our, our kids, what what do you remember? 
Yeah. So, I mean, our kids, our kids were pretty lucky. I would say they had many different voices that were able to speak into their lives. I mean, we, there was extended family. So we, at the time when the kids were little lived, um, by both sets of our parents. So both sets of our parents were around and we had, they had some aunts and uncles around, not all of them. We also had aunts and uncles living. They had aunts and uncles, our brothers and sisters living out of town, out of country. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. um, so they had some cousins around, but again, not like I grew up when I was growing up, my cousins, we were all like a year apart. We were very close in age and all did lots of things together, but it was, it was very, it was just very different. My mom and all of her siblings during some of those really young years of us cousins were um, all, divor- they were all divorced too. So they were all kind of single mom, single dads, kind of trying to do their thing. Right. So just, it was just a little bit of a different situation. So our kids definitely had extended family. We had a um, group of friends that we, um, you hear sometimes people call like the whole family thing. Right. So, I mean, that's what I would call this group of friends. They were like family. I mean, we saw them more than we saw our family. So Mm -hmm. we, we did life with these people. We actually have a name that, uh, that we call this group. And it came out of, because our kids, we did the whole like swapping for babysitting. So there would be times that one of us would have, there were seven kids amongst um, three couples. And there would be times that we would, one couple would have all seven kids um, or we would be out together somewhere. And you've got, right, some kids over in this here area, some kids over in this area. And so instead of calling seven different names, right? Like all the kids' names or calling, trying to call three different last names, I don't even remember like how like how we even did this. Like if it was just a like, hey, we should come up with a name at some point. I don't even remember where how we did it, but we at some point came up with a name McRuthenders. And we would literally call that. So if we needed to get our kids, we'd be like, McRuthenders. And literally every kid in the group would turn their head and come. So it was just like this, um, they just knew it. So, so yeah, I mean, our kids grew up with those kids. They were like cousins is, is really what they were. Daryl and I were just talking the other night. We, where were we? We were somewhere. Oh, we were eating out and you looked into the restaurant we were eating at and there was a mom and she was carrying this little baby and she had two younger ones in tow, probably like three and four. And then maybe like a nine month old baby, maybe, maybe a year. I don't know. He, you made some comment like, wow, Look at her. She's got those three little kids like all in tow, you know, and she's like trying to get drinks and she's got one strapped to her and the other two like right down next to her. And I was like, yeah, that used to be us. And he was like, yeah, I guess that's true. And I said, and remember, sometimes we had seven of them. Like I can remember going in to stores at time and people, because they were all so close in age, people looking at you and being like, what well, I don't understand. Like what, what is, is happening on? right here? So... <laughs> Because again, they all just acted like they were ours. I mean, they listened to us like we were parents and, you know, but yeah. So they definitely had that small group of friends. Um, the friends that, like I said, we did life with, we did all sorts of things with them. It was, yeah, they were with them a lot. They really, they really did grow up with them. So, and then they did church and student ministry. We've talked about that um, in some of our other episodes. Our kids were pretty involved in that um, at younger ages. They, I mean, Allie had that all through high school. Rach kind of did. And Tyler has kind of had part of high school with it and not really the rest of high school with it. So, but that was definitely their younger years. Um, they had those people in their life for sure. And then obviously, right, they were all in school. So they had teachers that they loved and adored that spoke into their life that, um, you know, 
taught them things and helped them grow up and learn things. They had, they were all involved in extracurricular activities. So there was arts and art mentors, you know, Rachel had drama and theater programs and she um, had a drama, well, yeah, I don't know what you would call her, a drama teacher, I guess, um, somebody that she did acting, I guess maybe more an acting teacher through her community theater program out here in California that she just adored. And um, this, like she taught her a lot and she really looked up to her. And so, yeah, they all had those people, they had coaches in their lives, right? They had, they just had those people around them. There were people besides us that were speaking into their lives. And we talked about this in another episode too, that, you know, uh, the importance of having people besides your parents speaking the same things into their lives. Um, so, but I think it even is, can be different when, I mean, obviously, depending on your beliefs, you, you kind of tend to want to put your kids like kind of in this bubble, right? Of like, well, I kind of want to surround them with people that think and believe like I do, right? And I think in some instances, as they're growing up, that's really important and you want to do that. But I'm also now, I think as our kids are getting older and I'm just thinking about things and looking at things, like I think sometimes those bubbles need to just poke, be have holes poked in them, right? And, and certain things, because you grew up in a certain area. We've all grown up believing certain things and learning certain things. And sometimes I, what I grew up learning and maybe what I grew up hearing isn't necessarily the truth, to be honest. Like it's it's not necessarily what's right and what's true. And so- Or it's just a very rigid version of the truth. Right, and, right. And not being very open-minded about certain things. Right, and, right. And yeah. so like I can look back and I'm grateful and thankful for the people who have maybe pushed against us a little bit or have the other perspectives that our kids have gotten. I mean, again, I think we talked about before, like for us, how important it is that we live in a community that's diverse, that that's, and how eye opening that has been for our kids and the things that they have gotten to learn and experience because of that. And I'm so incredibly grateful for that. I'm so glad that they got some of that. I wish we would have done it I wish that would have been part of our story earlier in their lives, to be honest, mm -hmm. but it's just not, it's not where we were at, but I don't know. That's I looking back now. That's one thing I would change if I could change something is I would, I would, there would be diversity around us and I would make that a value of ours um, to not have people around them that look like they do, that believe exactly like they do, that live the same life that they do, that, you know, are middle-class Americans like man alive is there stuff that you don't learn when you're living in the bubble of people who are just like you so true yeah so i don't know what about you hun like what word did you when you look back or do you have people in your life for stories that you can think of you know about positive role models or people who influenced you yeah i mean we we're talking about kind of the the stuff that our kids were involved in and i know that you know tyler and ali both did soccer and hockey and all sorts of different sports endeavors. And so there were lots of different coaches and, you know, a lot of good coaches that I, you know, I, I helped coach. And so I would sit there and I would kind of hear how they, how they coached and how they challenged the kids to be better people. And um, so I can definitely see how they benefited from that. And it just reminded me of when I was a kid, I living in Powell, Wyoming, really baseball was the only thing that you could do. Like that was the mm -hmm. only kind of, you know, kid sport. You started in T-ball and you just kind of worked your way up there. I guess soccer hadn't really caught on at that point yet. So it was, it was literally baseball. It's what everybody did. 
And I still remember there was a guy who the first team I ever played on, he coached, um, actually, no, I had probably played T-ball for a little while. And then when I got up to like the majors or major minors or one of those leagues, I got on a team and this guy from the community who owned the local grocery store, you know, he's an older guy, maybe in his sixties, probably at that point. And that's just what he had always done. He'd always coached a baseball team, even though he had no kids, no grandkids on the team. You know, it was just what he loved to do. And I still remember the, you know, the the way that he coached and the 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 positive things he taught us. And just you could just tell it was a calling and it was something that he really was passionate about. And so yeah, I can I can remember that for me. And it, I could it's cool that I could see that with some of the coaches our kids have had as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, that's the community we kind of regressed there for a little bit because obviously this episode is talking about the afterlife and, you know, what life looks like after your kids are out of the house. But I wanted to go back and just kind of touch on that whole community piece and how it impacted our kids. Because as we move into the next phase of life, as our kids kind of move out and they start doing their own thing, um, we have a couple of choices, right? We could literally just sit at home and do nothing and be an old married couple or you could kind of continue that community that we felt for other people. And so um, so I wanted to talk just a little bit about what would it look like if we did that, if we gave back to our community, other couples, other kids. Um, obviously, first and foremost, you should be that for your own kids and your own grandkids, right? That's super important. You need to continue that for your own family. Um, but then what about other couples or other families or other kids um, by like being a coach or teaching art classes or volunteering at a, a church or an organization, things like that? Uh, there's just a lot of different ways that I think we can or could give back to our community. Um, being a mentor, um, you know, being being in a small group of some sort where you're interacting with people who are older than you, people who are younger than you, um, you know, and, and the younger couples, you know, they, they probably look up to you and they probably Mm -hmm. would benefit from the things you have to say about your challenges with parenting and your successes with parenting, things like that. So there's nothing better, right. Than having somebody that you can, you can talk to and vent with and be like, Oh my gosh, it's so hard right now. And having that person look at you and say, yes, absolutely. It is. We feel, we remember that, but we promise, we promise there's a way out. We promise it gets better. We, how can we help you? What can we do? How can we support you? But yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you, hon, that it starts with being that right for your own kids and your own, your own grandkids. So like that, that's, that's important. And that needs to be a priority. You need to keep that connection and continue to stay involved with them and be and even if you didn't have that I mean here's what I would say to that like some people didn't grow up with that right they didn't grow up with they didn't grow up with grandparents around and they didn't they don't really know what that experience is like and that's kind of your story right like if if we're really being honest so mm-hmm. your story is that you didn't really have grandparents so you grew up in a house where it was your family and you guys had some friends right? When you lived in Paul, Wyoming, you had some friends that you did things with, but there really wasn't family around, right? No, because my, my parents' parents lived up in Canada and we, you know, we saw them every great now and then, but it wasn't 
wasn't regular enough to where you'd really create like a relationship or a, a friendship with them. So right, right. Where I grew up in a house where my grandparents were very involved because they all lived pretty local. And again, I think I told you guys a little bit that you know, when I was young, my mom, I mean, you guys know I come from a divorced home, but my mom was, it was me and my mom for a while and all of her siblings were in the same spot. So that was this, like, there was just all of this around, but I think for us, the conversation came like, well, what does that mean for us when we have grandkids? Because again, like if we're going to be vulnerable and talk here, we've both had our struggles, right? Like on our sides of like, what we, the grandparents we want for our kids, right? So you were like, well, but it doesn't really matter. And I'm like, no, because, but it does matter because I did have that. And I know the impact that it had on my life and how fun it was and what that meant for me to have my grandparents around. And so I think for us, we kind of sat down early on and decided like, no matter where we came from and what our, what we grew up with and what our life life was like, that we were making the commitment, the two of us, that we were going to be around for God willing, right? That if we are going to be around for our grandkids, that we are going to be a part of their life. Does it mean we're going to live in the same town with them? Not necessarily, right? I mean, I don't know. We've got three kids. Like if they all live all over the country, you're just going to have to pick, I guess. But that doesn't mean you can't be involved. So there's technology, there's ways to do that. And so that's just a commitment you and I have made. So here's what I would say. I would challenge you to think about that and to be that for your own kids and to make that decision ahead of time, because it can be really easy for that kind of stuff to get away from you. And if, again, like I said, if you didn't have it, it's okay. You can, you can change that going forward. So you can show your own kids and your own grandkids what it's like to have um, a grandparent around in whatever form and fashion you can be there, whether again, it's in person, it's online, it's calling, it's FaceTiming, it's texting, whatever it is, you can, I, I believe in you, you can do it. <laughs> That's good. All right. So number three, leave your mark. So really what we're doing here is we're kind of transitioning from, you know, being parents, having kids, doing all of those things to trying to determine what you do once they're gone. What, like, what, how do you want to live your life? What do you want to do? Is it, is it more self-centered stuff or is it more, you know, others focused stuff? So we're really building a case for serving or, or being of service to your community. So lifelong service to those around you um, and moving outward, you know, from the, the smaller life that you were once living with, with your own kids. So obviously we've talked about parenting our own kids. We've talked about them growing up and leaving home and becoming adult children. We talked about being supportive of them as they become parents and they have their own kids. Then we talked about being part of an even bigger community where, you know, maybe we're supporting other families or other kids, things like that. And then that really brings us to the highest level, which is the, the greater good, the greater community. So the larger community of people that you know, the people who live just outside what we consider our normal community, people who often live in the shadows or on the fringe, uh, people we may never see or rub shoulders with, but they're here, right? They live right down the street. They live the next town over, you know, people that we can and should be willing to help. Uh, and yet it's so easy to pretend that they aren't there. So 
Um, I'm going to kind of turn this part over to you because I know this is something you're really passionate about, but, but maybe talk about, you know, some of the reasons why you're passionate about this area, you know, and then maybe some of the ways that people can actually get involved and, and be that support to their community. Yeah. So I think what I would start by telling you guys is we all have different passions. We all have different things that tug on our heart and maybe, you know, this isn't my, my story. Isn't your story. What, what I'm passionate about isn't what you're passionate about. And that's absolutely okay. But maybe for some of you, this is, this is going to tug um, for you. And if this isn't what you're passionate about, find what it is that you are and move at it. Do like, do something about it. Take steps. Don't just sit and, you know, complain and be frustrated with about what you hear or what you see or what's going on in the world, like do something about it. So for me, that for me, it's always been about protecting kids. And I don't, I don't really remember me feeling that way in high school necessarily. I've always liked kids. I've enjoyed being around kids, but, um, and I think probably some of it, I'm sure some of it came from growing up in a divorced home and the whole back and forth. Not that I ever had anything that, you know, horrible happened to me, but it wasn't fun. I mean, I was caught in the middle of crap. I shouldn't have been caught in the middle of, I heard things I, it probably didn't need to hear like, you know, so there's all that kind of stuff, but I, I went to college and graduated from college and, um, got a job and started doing some other stuff and kind of thought like, Oh, I think I want to go back to school and maybe become a teacher. And it's so funny. I didn't finish that, which is like, why did I even, why, why did I do that? Like, what was that about? Why did I do, why did I go back? But here's why I think I went back. I think this was the sole purpose of it is I went back and I had to take a speech class. I don't know why I never took a speech class in my undergrad. Yeah, I, re- I remember that. Yeah. I had to take a speech class. <laughs> and in that speech class, I had to write a persuasive speech um, about something that I read. And during that, like I had to read a book, I think, and then write like a persuasive speech. I, I can't remember exactly. I know I had to write a persuasive speech where I had to convince people to do things. But I read this book in the in-between time called A Child Called It. I don't even remember why. I don't remember who recommend. I don't, I can't even remember if it was my teacher. I literally, you guys, I can't remember. Uh, it was probably part of your, part of the curriculum. Maybe. I, I had to read that book for social work. Yeah, may, yeah at maybe. At some point. Maybe. But anyways, that book just like rocked my world for some reason. So if you haven't read it, um, I would recommend that you read it. Uh, It's not for the faint of heart. It's basically um, a, I think it's a man, I think his story about basically being an it child, nobody loving him, caring for Mm -hmm. him. He was neglected, horribly neglected and abused. Yeah. So it's heart wrenching to say the least. So I then took the speech class and I had to write a speech and I was, that book just fired me up about foster care, about kids who are neglected and abused and about why we should care about it and why we need to do something about it. And I wrote this speech and did it. And my teacher asked me to take it on. And I, she basically like entered me in a competition for this speech that I wrote and I ended, I don't even remember how far I ended up getting with it, but I, I think I went a couple steps in this competition with it. And, but it, I think was the beginning of like that passion and God putting that, that in my heart, that passion in my heart. And it's been something I've never been able to get rid of, to be honest. It, it has just sat there with me for since, since that time. So, you know, and you guys know, like we're both social work majors, um, 
it's been something that I have continued to do. I've worked in the school system. I've been a case manager. So, you know, I, I've had, I've done kind of the social work, the social work go with all of that. All of my jobs have kind of been that case, but I just always knew that there was, I was going to do something with foster care. Didn't really know what it was going to be, but I always knew. And I, I kind of would go back and forth in my head for the longest time. Like, um, I, I think when Daryl and I got, after we got married, we started having the conversation and I was like, I want to take in kids in our home. Is that something that you're, you're wanting to do or willing to do? And I don't ever remember you being like, oh, I have to do this back then, but you weren't against it from what I remember. Right. No, it was just, I mean, we had our own three kids and it was always like, wow, that's a lot of, I mean, this is a lot of work, so right. that will be a lot more work. Right. So right. I think that was kind of, but I remember you being passionate about not only that, but then also you had this desire to kind of get into yeah. the system and be someone who comes in and disrupts and fixes the system. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I would always go back and forth in my head about which way I wanted to go with it. Like, did I want to be a foster parent or did I want to get into the system? And I did, especially when you lived in Indiana, I just, I would get fiery about things that I would hear um, and things like that about, about the system. I didn't feel like the system was caring for kids well enough and kids were falling through the cracks and they were caring too much about biological families. And I, that has all changed now. So it's been like kind of a complete 180 for me, which is crazy. But, um, so, but it's definitely always been something there, there for me. And so when we were in Indiana, we would talk about like, oh, should we take in kids? Should we not? And it's kind of funny looking back because there would be moments where I would be super ready and Daryl would be like, nope, that's not happening anytime soon. And be like, okay, well, we can't do it without both of us being on the same page. And then we'd have a conversation again and you would bring it up and be like, okay, I think I might be ready. And I'd be like, nope, nope, we're on, nope, I'm not ready. I don't want to do that. So I kind of, I think to be honest, because even getting into the system, I was like, well, I could try to go and get a job in foster care. But I always kind of knew too, and I'm so glad that I didn't because again, God has just changed my heart in so many ways. But I I always knew it probably wasn't the best thing to do with little kids in our house, with us having our own kids. Cause I knew I just I I people I had heard and I think I just knew that the tax it would be on me emotion, emotionally and mentally and all of those things. And I just was like, I don't know that I can do this and raise my own kids well. Um, and be there for them emotionally and not get myself so caught up in the things I'm experiencing at work. So, so anyway, so that's always kind of sat back there. And then we moved to California and again, it still hadn't gone away. It was always in the back of my brain, something that just nagged at me all the time. Like I would, I mean, I literally at times was like, I know if I'm done, I'm not doing this. I'm just done with it. And it would just never left me. So we moved to California and to a smaller house. You know, here in Indiana, we had this house where we could have easily taken in kids. We could have put our girls in the same room, had a whole nother bit. We had a basement by the time we left that we probably could have put kids in, right? Like, mm-hmm. but no, we moved to California into this smaller house, but the nagging like is still there. So it hasn't gone away at all. We finally get ourselves settled here. And I just, I'm like, I think we're supposed to do this at some point. Like at some point we, I have to do this. This just will not go away. So I started some conversations with some people that actually Daryl had met through his job and they had fostered and adopted. And so I I had some conversations with them and long story short, one thing led to another and it got me working um, for a church that I was overseeing their foster care ministry. And it really was there where I completely 
I just, I, like I said, I did a 180. I, I don't think I really understood biological families and the struggles that they have. And my eyes were not wide open to poverty cycles. Like you guys, I was just so naive, you know, me being the white girl that I was growing up in the Midwest, um, in my nice little suburban, uh, town, you know, where everybody, you know, kind of makes about the same kind of money and everybody's kind of just doing just fine for themselves. You, you, I just, I just, yeah, my eyes weren't open to what the world is really like. And, um, the reasons that people are in poverty and the, the cycles of that and, um, the discrimination that is in our country and the reasons people can't, you know, we think us, you know, mid or not mid-class, us uh, middle-class people think, oh, it's just so easy. Like they're just not trying hard enough. They're not working hard enough. That's a whole nother tangent that I could go off on for hours. So we're not going to go there. But anyways, so, you know, I just realized like that it's not that easy. And there's a lot of things at play. And these families, I've not, I've yet to meet a family, a mom, a dad who doesn't love their kids. It's just sometimes life doesn't just lay it all out in front of you perfectly. Like it has for a lot of us, right? So I just realized like these parents, some of these parents are working their butts off to get their kids back. Um, they want their kids in their home. They'd never intended. They made a couple of bad decisions and come on, let's be honest. Like, really, you don't, none of us have ever made a couple of bad decisions that if somebody, the right person would have been looking at the right time that maybe CPS, Child Protective Services could have been called on us. Like, I mean, it doesn't take much, right? So so anyway, so it just, it changed a lot for me. And um, so we, so I did that for several years and got involved in the local foster care system. I got heavily involved with kids 18 to 22 years of age who are still a part of the foster care system. And it just, it deepened that thing in me of like, this is what my life is supposed to be about. This is who I'm supposed to advocate for. Um, this is who I'm supposed to like push after. And so I was doing it for work and again, but this, the nagging never left of like, but we, we need to care, help care for vulnerable kids in our community. Like if not us, who, right? Like there's so many kids. I think when I started to hear the statistics and heard in California alone, I can't even remember. I mean, it's an exorbitant amount of number of kids, but in Orange County, it was like, I think 3,500 kids were in the foster care system. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't. Like that's, I just, I don't know, you guys, it just, it's crazy to me, you know, that there's that many kids that are in foster care that don't have a place to be, kids that are living in group homes. Um, so we- Yeah, that's a massive number. I yeah. mean, I, I lived in Powell, Wyoming, which was like 5,400 people. So literally over half of those people could have been kids in the foster care yeah. system. That's yeah. just a massive number. Yeah. And I mean, obviously Orange County is a big county, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it's got a, a couple million people in it. Yeah. Percentage but, wise, it's not. Right. But it's not as big of a deal. But, but still, yeah. I mean, those kids are kids you guys living in your neighborhood. I mean, they're kids living down the street. They're kids, like Daryl said, living across the town. Like they're, they're in your backyards. So so as we got involved, we heard about this organization called Safe Families. And so for us, that's the first step that we took. And Safe Families is an organization that basically it's preventative to foster care. So it's a place where a family can come to and say, I need help. I don't have support. I don't have anybody in my life. Remember how we talked about we had this great support system. 
growing up. And that's part of, again, what we were blessed with as a middle-class family growing up the way that we did, that we had an, an amazing support system. A lot of families, you guys don't have that. They don't, it's not available to them. So these safe families, these parents can come along and say, hey, I have X, Y, and Z going on in my life and I just need help. And so they then, you know, you can come in, you can be a safe family. They run you through a process. You have to do a background check and do all of these things to make sure that you're safe people. But then you can take in kids for a short amount of time. So it's a short-term stay. The families are choosing it. They're choosing to put their kids in safe families. They're choosing to say, I need help. And so the hope is, is as these families do that and they build these support systems around them, that then their kids won't end up in the foster care system, right? That, that there's that place. So we just kind of decided, we heard about the program and we just decided, hey, we think this is a, a good first step for us. And so we got involved. Uh, we got in, we moved here in June of 2016, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we got involved in the first summer, July of 2017, we got our first two kids. So, and I can't even, I mean, we've had probably 10 kids in our house since then, maybe more, maybe more like 12. I'd have to sit down and like, think of all of them and, uh, and number it some, out. Yeah, some of them multiple times. Yeah, yep. We've so. had, yeah, some multiple times. We had some for th a couple of months. We've had some for a weekend. Like, you know, so it's it varies in amounts. I mean, really, again, it's supposed to be a, a short-term thing. And the beautiful thing for us is um, we, a couple of the girls that we had through a Safe Families match at one point, um, we're still in involved in their life. So they're actually going to come stay with us for a couple of weeks here and a few weeks coming up because mom needs to have surgery. She has no place for her kids to go. So they've kind of become, you know, we see them regularly. We all go take them to dinner. Um, they'll come spend a weekend with us. We've kind of become like another aunt and uncle for them kind of, right? Like we've become family to them. And that's really for us um, what it's about. So so there's that. There's something like Safe Families where you can do short term. Um, our intent is to foster, actually. And so we're walking through that foster care process right now. We've done some training and uh, we're waiting for the social worker to kind of get back to us and start the next piece for us. But that that is where we're headed. That's our plan. And, you know, you have foster, right? You have adoption. So you kind of have all of that in the middle. And I don't know. I, I, I'd love to hear your answer to this. I think we've talked about this, but maybe it's been a while. I don't know that my goal is adoption. And that's actually something that the one of the social workers asked me at one point, like, oh, do you, do you, we talked about this, but do you plan to adopt? And I was like, I'm not against it. It's not something that I would say, no, I will never adopt kids, but I'm not going into it with that intent. I'm going in with an intent that I want kids to be with their biological families. That is my goal. And that is what I want to happen. And I want to do everything in my power to give those biological families every resource and every all the time that they need to get their lives back on track, to get their lives turned around. Because you guys, that's what every kid wants. Doesn't matter the family that they've grown up in. That's what every kid wants. They want to be loved and cared for and live in a home with their own mom and dad, if at all possible, or their grandma or their grandpa or their aunt, like family, who are their biological family. And so that's what I'm going to fight for. So I would just want to be a safe place in the interim. I want to be that bonus family in their life that just comes in and is there to help for that, hopefully that little bit of time while mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, whoever can kind of get life back on track and get their kids back. But I'm not against adoption. I'm not like if we ever got a kid in our house and um, for whatever reason that kid couldn't go back to their family, I, 
I, I don't know that I would get, you know, be like, oh no, we'll never take that kid. That kid's got to go someplace else. So mm-hmm. I don't know, hon, what do you, what do you feel? Where, where are you yeah, falling all of this? I think I'm in the same place with that actually, because I, I mean, it, and it's just a stage of life thing. I mean, obviously we've had kids, they're in, they're out, you know, stuff like that. And so I don't know that I need to start an entirely new family all over again and, and walk through that whole thing again. I think it's, I think where we can probably be the most beneficial is just being that safe place for a variety of kids, you know, mm-hmm. and I know that there's, there's people who probably go into the foster, the foster placement system, hoping to get a kid like, you know, younger families, maybe mm-hmm. who like, that's their desire is to get into the foster system and then find a kid that they want to adopt. And, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily the goal for us. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's different for everybody for sure. And not everybody's going to, again, like I said, not everybody's going to do this. And maybe you're like the foster care system tugs on your heart, but you're like, oh, but I, I wouldn't want to take a kid in my house and that's okay. You can still be a support system. You can still help. There's lots of different ways to get involved. And, you know, to be honest, you'll hear a lot of people say, or I've heard a lot of people say like, oh my gosh, I could never do that because I would get too attached and I wouldn't want to let him go. And here's what I would say to that. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about Daryl. It's about the kids that are coming into our house. And yep, I am going to get attached. I'm attached to the two little girls that we get to see, but what is best for them? What is best if their family can heal is for them to be in their family. And so, um, again, that's like, I'm going to do my best to get attached and to love them well. And and in all of the meantime, be doing everything I can to hope that they get to go back to their biological family. So, so yeah, so that's, I mean, that's our story. There's other ways for you to get involved in your community. We talked about safe families, fostering and adoption. You can sponsor a child, you know, again, you don't, you don't have to have them in your home, but you can financially sponsor them. You could be a big brother or big sister to them. Um, you could get involved in a program. You guys, there's programs all over your community that are doing things for vulnerable kids in your communities. Um, there's after school programs. One of the programs that I work for is called the Youth Centers of Orange. And it's an after school program that we provide free after school care to kids living at or below the poverty line in, in our city. So those things are all over the place. Those organizations are everywhere. There are, like I said, vulnerable kids and families everywhere. So Whatever it is, like, just pick something, you guys, and get involved. Whatever it is that God, I believe that God has put inside of all of us a tug on our hearts. And for some people, it's people that are incarcerated. And for other people, it's homeless people, right? And for some people, it's people with addictions. Like, and a lot of it is based on our story and based on the things that we've walked through. But just just give back. Just find a way. Use your history. Use the things that you're good at. Use the skills that you have to give back in some form or fashion. That's, I don't know, that's what it's all about for us. And it's what our communities need. It's what our kids need. It's what people around us need. That's what we should be doing. That's how I, that's what I believe at least. So mm-hmm. do you, what, so that's for me. So, I mean, let's talk about this for a minute. Like, this is my passion and you've come alongside. And I think, I mean, I don't want to talk for you, but I think you would say that like, yeah, I agree with you and I have that passion and I want to help those kids. But I think there's something else that weighs on your heart a lot heavier than it weighs on my heart. What would you say that is for you? I don't know. I mean, I I think being concerned about other people and being into like social justice 
things is something that it took me a really long time in my life to to really grab onto and to really understand, you know, living living in the Midwest, mm-hmm. living in living in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Literally Wyoming, everyone was white that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, everyone was a farmer or something like that. They so they made a living. They had they made money. You didn't really see poverty. Um even though I'm sure people lived on very little mm-hmm. in Wyoming, but it just uh, I think it just took a really long time for some of that stuff to grow on me. And so, you know, I think I think that is probably the biggest piece is just seeing the the vast difference in um, socioeconomic classes and the rich versus the poor, the haves versus the have-nots. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I think that weighs on me a lot. But the, you know, the whole foster system and, and kids needing supported, needing help, I mean, that all kind of falls into that on some level because mm-hmm. they're they're coming from families who probably didn't have whatever a lot of people have mm-hmm. and so yeah yeah no. absolutely I think I, I've definitely seen one of the things I think for you that I see your heart I think people can go in two different ways you can watch people they get really frustrated with something right like or they get really they get really like heartbroken about something mm-hmm. and I think that's two ways that for me for a long time it was I was living in the like I was frustrated with the system I was mad at the system right like oh I was passionate and now I think I'm probably a little more heartbroken so mm-hmm. um because I think I've my eyes have been a little more open and I understand I understand how broken it is and how complex and complicated it is and that there's not an easy fix because you're dealing with human beings um but for you where I see that come and play a lot and you you, you pretty much said it is like the homeless population so I definitely see your heartbreak Um, when we'll see stories or things will come up on the news, um, or, you know, we'll pass somebody or what, whatever. Um, I just, I can definitely tell it's something that weighs heavy on you. And you're right. That is, I mean, that's the story of these kids. A lot of them are coming. I mean, that's how we got the two girls that we got, right. Is they were ready to be living on the streets. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what pulled on both of us was like, well, no, these kids can't go live on the streets. Are you kidding me? So, right. Yeah. So. Different yeah. for all of us. Yeah. And, you know, you hear like around here, obviously, homelessness is a huge issue because mm-hmm. of being in California and this close to L.A. And, you know, L.A. has Skid Row, which is just a very high, high population of um, homeless people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when they they talk about it on the news, you can you can easily kind of look at it as, oh, well, it's a bunch of older people who mm-hmm. just don't, don't have homes. Mm-hmm. But when they talk about the percentage of the people there who are you know, under 18 or who are kids or, or, you know, parents living with kids mm-hmm. in Skid Row, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, that's when I think it gets really heartbreaking. Cause it's like, wow. I mean, those kids shouldn't have to grow up like that. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. And if you want statistics, go look them up. You can, you can look up statistically and see how many homeless people came from the foster care system. How many, uh, how many people who are trafficked came from the foster care system like that it all starts somewhere and a lot of times when you take it back that's where it starts so for me that's i think for both of us that's why that passion lays there because it's like we want to do something to stop those kids from being a statistic mm-hmm. true true all right let's land the plane so i know that the content today was pretty specific to empty nesters right we talked a lot about 
having adult children, what that's like, you know, as a, as an intact family. Um, but that doesn't mean that this episode wasn't for everyone. Um, if, if you have young kids, obviously at some point they're going to be adult kids. Um, if you plan on having kids someday, same thing, good information for the future. Right. Um, but even if you don't have kids or let's say you aren't planning on even having kids, um, you're not off the hook. Obviously we talked about the community side of things. Um, you know, what it would mean to influence kids that you come in contact with. You can be a, an amazing teacher. You can be a coach. Um, you can be that aunt with all the right words at the right time, that kind of thing. Uh, and just because you don't have kids, doesn't mean that you can't be a safe family or a foster parent, all that kind of stuff. So that said, here are a few questions for us this week. So first of all, if you have adult children, how are you maintaining those relationships? Number two, are you helping those who are coming after you? So are you supporting your kids as they become parents? Are you mentoring other families or other parents or other kids? And finally, what would it look like if you gave back to your community? Um, could you open your home to kids who just need somewhere to go for a week or so? Um, have you ever thought about becoming a foster parent or adopting uh, or, or other things that are available in your community? All of these things are important and make a big difference in the world around us. So that's it. Thanks again for joining us this week. Uh, next week, we're going to do something a little crazy. So we've actually invited our kids to do a roundtable discussion uh, on topics that we've kind of walked through in this series. We're calling it the Ruthless Parenting Assessment. And we've told them, to be honest, um, do you think they're going to be? <laughs> well, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. I'm a bit nervous, but at the same time, I can't wait to have that discussion. It's going to be a lot of fun. So until then, have a great week. Enjoy the afterlife. And as always, keep transcending human. For more information on Transcend Human or the Transcend Human podcast, visit us at transcendhuman.com. There you'll find all of the podcast episodes along with the show notes. You'll find blog posts and other resources that will be helpful to you. You can also find our social media links there, and you can contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. And finally, we would love it if you would share the podcast with friends and family. Uh, if you do have an extra minute, stop by Apple Podcasts and uh, leave us a rating and a review. That always helps to boost us in the rankings and ensure that more people find us. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next week.